Those are new words, I think, and I really like those. That, that's good. So, uh, I was in late May in the men's study, and uh, we were talking about stuff that was going on in our lives. And I told Carrie, I said, Carrie, I'm writing a sermon that uses you as an illustration. And I'm now, just now, finally getting to that. So, if you've been to Carrie and Donna's house, and you, you, the new one, and you, you walk in there, into their living room, and you look up at the ceiling, there's this big beam that is from the rice mill. Uh, and, you know, instead of getting a new beam to put in their house, they're like, we want to use this old one. And so you might ask, well, why, why would someone do that? Oh, and the answer is pretty simple. It's because that's what they wanted to do. That beam, that rice mill, it meant something to them. And so even if it was extra work, they were going to go through uh, whatever they needed to to make sure that they could get that beam into their house because that is the choice that they wanted to make. And in similar fashion, God chose to use old, recycled, extra work pieces to build his church. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We're continuing our series in Ephesians. And today, we're going to be talking about uh, building the house of God. I've got to turn this on. Building the house of God. And last week, we talked, uh, or last time we studied this, which was about a month and a half ago, we talked about chapter one and the blueprint that God has made. A blueprint to have uh, a house, a church that is made of holy, sanctified, uh, blameless people who are set apart to do his will, who are going to inherit great things. This has been God's plan. And so that's the blueprint. And we also talked about Jesus, the builder, the man that came to make it all a reality. But today we're going to be talking about building preparations. I've entitled it, uh, Not Your Average Bricks. Because we're going to be talking in the first first half of the chapter about how God used recycled materials. uh, That we were not brand new by any means. And yet God took us and transformed us and made us into usable building materials. And then in the latter half of the chapter, we're going to talk about how God used seemingly incompatible materials to build something that shouldn't have been able to go together, but God unified us through Jesus. So we'll start with the first half of this chapter talking about recycled materials. So let me read the first three verses. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He says, If you were going to go back and look at who you previously were uh, before Jesus came on the scene, it's not good. Verse 1, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, And don't think like literally dead, but obviously uh, more of the way that John uses the word death and life. That if Jesus is life, if God is life, then if we don't have God, then we don't have life. Uh, And also... Uh, implicit in this idea of death is that uh, there's not a lot we can do 
to, to rescue ourselves. If you're dead, then you're, you're dead. Uh, and there's obviously other places that, uh, that you can take that metaphor too far, but the, the clear implication is that we're in a bad state. Uh, and we weren't good by any means either. We were walking uh, under the power of the prince of the air, walking as sons of disobedience, following out the, the desires of the flesh. We were trapped. We were really messed up. Not good. And so this was our state. Just terrible. And yet something came that changed that. Something came that allowed us to not be terrible, uh, depraved people anymore. In verses 4 through 6 we read, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So he says, once you were dead in your trespasses, once you were following out the desires of the flesh, but because of God's rich mercy, in verse 4, he came, and now, from death, we are raised to life. We follow, actually, the same pattern that Jesus follows in chapter 1, when, in verse 20, uh, the great might of God, that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That similarly, we were operating under the power of Satan. And yet, God came along and he raised us from the dead, made us alive with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places above the rule of Satan so that we could overcome that. And this was all because of God's great mercy to make a point in verse 7 so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So, once totally dead, following the patterns of sin, but God, being rich in mercy, raised us up. But now we see in verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. So he says, I want to make sure that you understand this. So he says it like three different ways. You did not do this. You did not raise yourself up. You did not rescue yourself. Do we have a role to play, a choice to make to follow Jesus? Absolutely. But it is by grace that you have been saved. It is not by your own power, not by your own goodness. Because as you can see, goodness is not an equality we were abounding in. And yet God's grace raised us up, and by grace we have been saved for a purpose, in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he created us for a purpose, for good works, so that we could glorify him by living out the purpose that we had. Verse 10, verse 7 together, that this idea that when we do what we are supposed to do, it brings honor to God. 
And so let's go back to our building metaphor, okay? Because earlier I said that we were kind of like the beams in Carrie's house, but I think that gives us a little bit too much credit because uh, it seems like those beams were pretty good when he got them and put them in there in his house. But we were dead in our trespasses, following the course of this world, like sons of disobedience, carrying out the desires of the body. We are not pretty good beams that you can just take and put in your house. No, we're like rotten, warped, mildewing beams. And by some amazing power, God took these beams that were good for nothing, these bricks that are totally broken, and God turned us into something amazing. And so uh, we consider, why, how did God do this? Why did God do this? Well, we're going to see that it is because, in verse 4, God is rich in mercy, and he has great love that he loves us. He did this also to show his power in the age to come. Uh, and Well, his immeasurable riches of grace in the age to come. But there's power in this as well. And so we think, well, what, what does this say about God? That God chose these really unlikely choices, these rotten beams, and yet somehow he made them good. Well, I, I think it shows, one, that God had a vision far beyond what we can see. You talk about uh, like an artist, for example, who can see in a block of wood the vision that he has for it. And, it. and no one else can see it. And God has that, but, you know, times a million. That he saw these rotten beams and he said, I'm going to build my church from those. And you think, what a weird choice. Because, well, if you're going to build a bridge for cars to drive on, uh, you don't build it out of spaghetti. <laughs> and in the same way, if your goal is to build, as we saw in the blueprint of chapter 1, a people who are blameless, a people who are sanctified, a people who are set apart for good works in chapter 2, verse 10, then you would not think immediately, I'm going to go with the people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and walk under the power of the prince of the power of the air. No, you would pick something better. But God looked at us, us broken, and he, through his, his mind, his creativity, he saw potential in us. And through his power, he transformed something that no one else could use into something amazing. And not just to use for anything. I mean, if you were going to build, you know, the Taj Mahal or the Palace of Versailles, the building, the magnum opus of your life, you're not going to pick broken, worn out, warped, messed up, unusable pieces. You're going to get the best thing that you can. But God looked at us. He saw that potential and he made us into a usable piece to put into his building, the church. That's what God did with us. And it is incredible and reflects amazingly on God's power, on God's vision, on God's grace, that he was able to see that in us and transform us into something good. So when God built his church, he looked at these worn out, broken pieces, and he said, that's what I want. And doesn't that make us feel loved, make us feel special, that God was able to see that in us and bring that out of us, that God cared so much that he was willing to go through all the effort it would take to bring us in, and make us usable. 
I think that's incredible. But our chapter goes on. So in the second half of the chapter, we get another idea. And that is that God built his house out of incompatible components. Let's read, we'll read the whole section here, uh, verses 11 through 22. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off had been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this speaks as well to the vision that God had. He saw the Jews, he saw the Gentiles, these two incompatible groups, and he said, I'm going to make my church out of these. And since this is Arkansas and we like football, I got a football metaphor for you. So the year is 1943, and World War II is going on. And so as a result of the war, there aren't a whole lot of able-bodied football players. And, uh, but they thought that football was important, you know, for the national morale. And so these two teams from uh, Pennsylvania, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles, neither one of them had enough players to field a team. And the players that they did have weren't like they had leg problems and bleeding ulcers and deafness. So like really not great candidates. And uh, they didn't have enough people, so they decided they were going to team up. They were going to be the Phil Pitt Steagles. And uh, as you can imagine, it didn't go all that well. Like, better than they imagined, but uh, like the coaches, they didn't have the same philosophy. Uh, they're just, they didn't mesh well, and so they didn't play well. And in the same sort of way, you would think, if you were trying to make the greatest football team ever, you're not going to take two teams and smush them together. But God did. He took the Jews and the Gentiles who, I mean, the Jews thought that the Gentiles were filthy pagans, which they were. And the, the Gentiles thought that the Jews were all stuck up, which they were. And so they didn't get along very well. And yet God wanted to bring them together to unify these two ununifiable things into his, again, Palace of Versailles, his Taj Mahal, the vision, the building that God has been building, his church, his dwelling place, he built from these two incompatible materials. And so we see in verses 11 and 12, he says, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, 
called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It's kind of similar to what Paul says in Romans 11. That remember that Gentiles, uh, you're able to be grafted in, but the base uh, of this tree, these roots are Israel. And they're supporting you. That for all these years, 1400 years before this is taking place, it's been Israel. It's always been Israel. And they had the promises and the Gentiles didn't. And the Gentiles, they were separated. They were aliens. They did not have the promises. But then something changed. Verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of, G- of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down this flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He says, Jesus came along and he changed the whole game. That previously you were far off, but now you are brought near. And he did that by, in verse 14, being our peace. Reconciliation had to happen on two fronts for us the terrible Gentiles. One is that the Jews hated us uh, because we were filthy pagans. And the other part is that we were separated from God because we had rejected him, because we were not living righteously. And so these two fronts, the problem of reconciling with the Jews and the problem of reconciling with God had to be handled. And that happened because Jesus is our peace. That happens because we were brought near by the blood of Christ. And so because of Jesus, because of the cross, we were able to be unified. One, because the blood of Jesus takes away our sins. We learned that in chapter one. But two, because the blood of Jesus is the thing that saves everyone. Remember what we saw in the first half of this chapter, that we are saved by grace. It is not of our own doing. And in the same way, in this latter half, he says in verse 15, that Jesus abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So he says, this is the cross. This is the way to God. He says, previously, there was this whole law of ordinances, but he put that to death so that man could not come to God except through Jesus. And so while the Jews, they've got this whole history, they've got all these promises, and they don't count for nothing. But if you're going to come before God, the only way to do that is through Jesus. And so the Jews and the Gentiles, they both take this same avenue to get to God. And so there is no place for boasting because we both come before God on the same grounds. And that is through the blood of Christ. This peace to those far and near, we are brought together, we become one. And now let's finish our chapter here. Verse 18 through 22, for through him... um, 
sorry, verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We see in verse 19, uh, what the, the counterpoint to what we saw in verse 12. In verse 12, he said, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, had no hope and without God in the world. But now in verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That once we were far off, once we were strangers and aliens, but now through Jesus we are brought near. Now we are fellow citizens. And we are all together built on a single foundation, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. He's the one this whole building is based on. And we, all of us in our recycled material selves, all of us in overcoming our past through Christ, all of us, these incompatible materials that shouldn't have gone together, and yet we do, because God, in his mastery, unified us into one building built on the foundation of Christ. And we are all unified into a holy structure, uh, into a whole structure, joined together into a holy temple in the Lord, built together the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He says, you want to see where God dwells? It's here among his people. And that means that God broke down any sort of divisions. And it's, it's beautiful. I mean, we think about this as, as children, that Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. We've got Republicans, we got Democrats, we got people of all kinds, Jews, Gentile, male, female, it doesn't matter. Everyone, no matter what sort of hostility exists in the world, we are unified as one in Christ. And it's, a, it's astonishing because you look out at the world and you see people fighting all the time. I mean, wars constantly. And yet there is a peace that is found in God's people. I mean, you talk about this, the vision from Isaiah 11 of the, the lion and the lamb, the child and the cobra, like these things that should be killing each other, but they're not. And you think about the way that we stand out as so different from the world because here there is unity where there out in the world is biting and devouring and divisions, and yet here there is unity, and that unity comes from Christ, and it is amazing. And so Ephesians 2 we got this picture. We're building the house of God, or God's building the house. And he built it from recycled materials, things that are, are no good, and yet he made us good. And he built it from incompatible materials, things that shouldn't have gone together, and yet because of Jesus, we were able to be unified. But what do we do with this? I want to take the last few minutes to give us some applications. First, I want to say, we got to share his amazing grace. We have this habit in our Western world of hiding our faults, 
of uh, kind of uh, sweeping under the rug our previous life. And I think we do a great disservice to God by doing that. Uh, you think about Paul in 1 Timothy 1. He talks about how God chose him specifically because he was the chief of sinners and that if God can work in Paul, he can do it with anybody. And in the same way, it brings glory to God that we were what we were, broken, warped, mildewed, cracked, it doesn't matter. God changed us. God made us into something good. And the more we can show the transformation that God made in our lives, the more people can see the amazing grace of God, the amazing power that God has to change people. But second, we're to do good works. And we get that obviously from verse 10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that means we got to do stuff. We're not just here to, uh, to shine, although that's, that's part of it, but we're here to work, to walk in the light, to do all of the things that Paul is going to say in the latter half of this book. We're going to be singing. We're going to be praying. We're going to be encouraging one another. We're going to be walking in the light. We're going to be being unified. All of these things, putting on the armor of God, praying, these are the kinds of things that we've got to be active doing. We've got to get to work because being a part of God's body, being a part of this building means that we've got to show God's glory by doing the works that we were prepared beforehand to walk in. And finally, we've got to pursue peace. It's easy, uh, as I said, with the world around us to want to fight, to want to divide, to want to argue. But that is not what God calls us to. Instead, we are called to be unified. And there can be, you know, little things that irritate us. And we just, we got to get past them. And there can be big things, scary things. I mean, we sang in the, in the song that Craig Gladison about schisms being introduced in the church. And that's scary. And we got to fight against that. And we got to take a stand to hold together the unity of God by holding fast to the cross of Christ that we can all be unified because Christ did not die so that there could be two groups. He died so there could be one. And that is what we are called to. And so I hope that you will take these thoughts from Ephesians, share the glory of God, remember who you were and who God made you to be and the power of God to overcome so much in this world. Thank you so much. We'll now be dismissed to class.